Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Eric Pfeiffer about establishing a leadership culture to engage millennial and Gen Z workers. Eric Pfeiffer, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun getting to chat with you in the pre-interview and um, getting to know you just a little bit. And it's always fun when I um, meet up with and talk with people from Southern California. As we were discussing, my wife is from St. Clemente. Uh, it sounds like you surfed there a lot when you were younger. Um, what a wonderful place. And it's, it's nice to have those little connection points. Uh, as we, um, you know, before we start to dive into, um, you know, these professional conversations. But I'm really excited to talk with you today about establishing a positive leadership culture, engaging millennial and Gen Z workers in more productive ways, um, and really where the disconnect may be within organizations right now, and how we can overcome those. Uh, as we get started, I just wanted to share Eric's bio with everyone. Eric Pfeiffer is a leadership coach who works with leaders and teams to increase personal and organizational health to maximize performance and productivity. After spending almost two decades improving the operational leadership culture of hundreds of organizations, Eric knows the bottom line value of building the most important part of any business platform, the people. A small investment in the leadership culture of any organization is guaranteed to pay incredible dividends. He currently is working with leaders and organizations in the construction, hospitality, restaurant, financial, pharmaceutical, and professional athletics industries. Uh, and what an interesting um, kind of portfolio of clients that you have, uh, a, the range of activities that you're involved in. And I'm just super excited to have the chance to talk with you today. Uh, anything else you want to share with listeners by way of background before we launch in? No, I think it's interesting that you picked up on the diverse portfolio of the, the types of organizations and industries that uh, I and we work in, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are in the people business, and we believe that all organizations are powered by their most important capital, which is people. And so um, because we're in that people business, uh, we've had the fortunate opportunity of working across lots of different, different industries. And what we find is all the cross-pollination uh, from different organizations, different cultures, um, is actually incredibly helpful versus uh, staying maybe more industry specific in, in, in terms of the work that we do. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, my portfolio is similarly quite diverse. So, you know, but people issues are fairly um, similar across different types of work, different industries, different levels of, uh, of jobs within organizations. Um, now, obviously, there's nuances and there's, you know, there are specific differences, but people are people and people are complex and organizations are complex and yeah. 
a lot of the same types of issues um, just surface over and over and over again across different organizational types. But really, again, to your point, uh, there's just so much overlap and I love the cross-pollination approach uh, because I think too many people get caught up in their their disciplinary and functional silos or their industry silos and when that happens you just fail to make the important connections uh, across diverse ways of thinking that that hinder your ability to innovate really so it, it's it's super important and I would I would even add with that that when you've got so many different types of people that are coming into one organization, the reality is every person represents their own culture, their own background, their own paradigms and perspectives. And so to go into any one organization, regardless of the industry and expect that everybody kind of is coming with the same set of, of assumptions or preconceived ideas um, is what gets people in trouble. We just kind of assume, hey, everybody else is like me. And so everybody's going to want to play the same way I play. So we found that working in a lot of different contexts has actually helped us to identify and clarify what are those characteristics or, or uh, common uh, uh, traits or issues that are that are just prevalent across any organization because you're dealing, like you said, with people. And there's there's a degree to which people are people and there's and we all share some similarities. And yet there's this robust and rich diversity amongst all people based on all of the different influences and investments they've had. Um, but being able to recognize that, that it doesn't matter if you're in the construction industry or in the law industry or you're in the athletic industry, um, uh, you've got so many different people coming into the same space and trying to help them all function and work together uh, harmoniously. That's, that's the challenge that I think people have been dealing with since people existed. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're not a monolith. Uh, so even when you get people that share values and ideologies, um, they, they are from similar socioeconomic backgrounds, similar cultures, um, even within those situations, you, everyone still has their unique set of motivators and kind of their prior their own priorities uh, and where they're at in their own life stage all that factors in um, so you're absolutely right we always need to be we we default to talking in generalities a lot because that's easier but we always have to remember um, that it's it's really important that we look at each individual person and that's it from a leadership standpoint that's one of the main roles of an effective leader is just know your people don't take anything for granted don't assume they're like you um, don't try to make them like you uh, no. but you tap into their unique strengths and help them fulfill their potential that's so good i couldn't agree more well so as we get started there are many challenges obviously within organizations today but what do you see as some of the biggest problems with leadership cultures in the organizations that you've worked with and, and how have you helped them to work towards resolving them? Yeah, that's a great question, John. And there's, there's actually a lot of different aspects and I'm sure that you can include a few of your uh, insights as well. Uh, a, a, a mass, uh, probably one of the most significant challenges in any leadership culture is how often we find that people don't really understand what culture is. Culture is kind of one of these words, it's kind of an enigma, like we, we use the word, we talk about it, like we all know what we're talking about, but more often than not, when you ask somebody, hey, how do you assess, define, articulate your culture, and you're going to get as many different answers as you ask people that question. 
Um, and so this is a simple, rudimentary, but very, very effective way of helping people understand what their culture is. Uh, if you remember an old song, I can't remember the artist, but this is how we do it. Like we know that, we know that line, right? And, and that is in the simplest way I can say, um, a, a, a very helpful way of understanding what is culture. Culture is really the kind of uh, the default, most predictable uh, default patterns of behavior that you find within any context, uh, even an organization. And so once you're be able to begin to identify what culture is, you can, you can tackle it. If you don't know how to identify culture, you can rewrite your vision statement, your value statements. You can bring in a bunch of people to talk to us about symbiotic work environments and how do we do this and that. But at the end of the day, you don't know what you're, you're tackling because more often than not, when people are talking about culture, they're really addressing the, the symptoms, not the systemic issues. And so if we don't know how to identify the symptomatic or symptom issues, and then to draw the connection down, I think of like a tree and its roots, you know, we're upstairs cutting off branches and, and, and trying to change the tree above the ground, but culture is very much rooted in the kind of um, ideologies, attitudes, but what I would say more importantly, the predictable behaviors that people engage in uh, within any particular context. So just number one, uh, we've, we found people just don't know how to identify what culture is. And so it becomes an enigma and it becomes ambiguous. And so we take a bunch of swings at it, but we're not changing much. Um, another massive deal is um, this issue when we talk about shared language is you have all these different people coming into a work environment, no matter how much they share similar passions or interests like we talked about before, um, we don't realize that you don't need to go to another country to enter into conversations with people who have a different language than us. I mean, I've been married almost 20 years and I can tell you, you know, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus is one of the best books I ever read because it helped me understand that even though we both speak English, because we're different human beings, we actually are speaking with a different language. We mean different things by the words or phrases that we're leveraging. And so understand that in any, in any business context, that when people are trying to process something, whether it's uh, resolving conflict, making important decisions, assessing or analyzing data uh, or information, um, we don't realize how often we're actually using different languages. Um, and so we've, we've all, so if you take those two as, as significant issues that we see in leadership culture, um, and, and we define leadership culture as, how is it that people work together to accomplish any common goal, right? That's, that's really the task of leadership. Um, then the, the solves are, you know, one is, is training leaders how to effectively assess, diagnose uh, their current culture for better and for worse. And, and so that we spend a lot of time doing that with leaders because once you see the culture, you kind of, I, I talk about it like the matrix. If you remember that old movie with uh, Keanu Reeves, the matrix, w once you see the matrix, everything becomes clear. But when all you're dealing with is what you see at face value, and you don't you see the symptoms and not the systemic issues it's almost impossible to make changes and then it just becomes easier to try and cope with whatever's happening and just move forward um yeah so i was gonna say that the the coping element is so true and you, you end up paint playing like cultural symptom whack-a-mole right um just just going after every little thing that pops up and you're never hitting any of the the root causes or the systemic issues 
that are at play. And people get so fatigued by the constant um, trend, you know, going after the latest culture trends and whatever um, the organization, whatever the leadership says, okay, it looks like we have this problem. So now we're going to go, go try to tackle that. And then lo and behold, it doesn't actually do anything. And then they go after another thing and another thing. And people get fatigued through the constant um, change, not, and not change for positive results, but just like you're spinning your wheels for nothing and you're changing things that don't actually improve anything. Uh, and so I like the matrix reference because it does, it, 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 it requires people to be willing to challenge their, their preconceived notions, their, their current understanding to recognize that maybe they don't have it right. And mm -hmm. that they're, they're humble enough to admit that maybe they got something wrong. They don't understand what's happening. And only then are they able to take a step back and see the forest from the trees and actually start to see the systemic issues. Uh, otherwise, they're invisible and you just keep on playing whack-a-mole over and over. You got it. Well, early on in my career, I spent a lot of time um, coaching people through through marriage, um, through challenges, through big decision making, through conflict resolution stuff, and um, and that's the context where I first began, and even in the context of my own marriage, but began to realize that two people who love each other, who have committed their life to each other, who are trying to to succeed together, at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, they're 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 playing this kind of uh, you know. Uh, crisis whack-a-mole i'm just trying to solve it with quick fixes if we can just figure this out and you look at the statistics i mean whether you whatever your views on marriage are put that aside uh it's a human issue is that when two human beings commit themselves to a kind of partnership whether it's a marriage or business and we discover that we don't have the basic skills for partnering effectively together because we're both coming with very different backgrounds and and paradigms and perspectives um, learning how to identify the systemic issues. Um, if, we, if we don't learn how to do that, then we, we're never going to have a hope for a different way forward. And you can kind of patch it up and band-aid the problems, but at the end of the day, we end up with these significant relational hemorrhages and breakages and dysfunctions. And I tell people, I mean, it, you know, if, if, if the statistics on marriage are becoming increasingly more blight and hopeless, it's the same exact issues that are at the very center of what makes it so difficult within the business context to partner with other human beings. If, if we learn how to assess those and we recognize that the way forward is not actually, here's the second part is the way forward I've discovered is, is not that we go in and make everybody's paradigms and values conform to ours. Uh, and and we, we did, how do we fix all this stuff? It's like in marriage, I tell people, you can go in and spend the rest of your life talking about what did or didn't happen when you were three years old and 10 years old. And that stuff matters. But more importantly, we need a different way forward. We need to be able to recognize, hey, you know what? What we're doing isn't working. And what we need is, this brings me to the second point, we need a shared language. We need shared practices that we can agree toward the pursuit of shared outcomes. And once those are clarified, 
I find that a lot of the systemic issues that, you know, you can spend, you know, a lot of money, a lot of on counseling or different, you know, uh, different uh, uh, processes. But at the end of the day, I think the most powerful, the most powerful, the glue that holds people together is actually making a choice. We are going to choose shared outcomes. We are going to choose shared practices in a shared language that is going to help us move from point A to point B. Let's focus on where we're going, not with why everything in the past hasn't worked. That's an important part of the process, but I tell people it's why I'm a coach and not a counselor because counselors will spend all day with you dealing with your past. That's fantastic. They're looking out the rear view window. As a coach, I want to help us focus on a way forward that we can all agree on and once we start getting the shared outcomes, it brings new life into the relationships and the partnerships. It gives people encouragement. And at the end of the day, that's what people are looking for. We want win-win uh, situations. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you have that background too in, in working with marriages. Um, I've joked on the podcast before that I'm a bit of the black sheep in my family because all of my family are all social workers and therapists. So they, they work with people, but they work with them in that way. And then I'm the guy who does the same kind of stuff, but I do it in business, right? Yep. Um, and you know what? Honestly, when we get together and talk, we talk, we, we have a shared language because it's the same stuff. It's the same sorts of issues over and over again. It's about developing and maintaining trust. It's about um, communicating effectively and so on and so forth. So I think all of what you just said is, is great and it's, it's helpful and just a good reminder to all of us and everyone who's listening, you know, that people issues are people issues and uh, because people are complex, um, you know, we, we can't shortcut uh, an approach to effectively working together. Like you just can't. And it, it doesn't matter if you're talking about a 20 year marriage. I've been married for 18 and a half years. Same thing, you know? Yeah. Like my wife and I have to work at it because we know each other. We know we're committed to each other. We know we love each other. Um, but, you know, miscommunications, even after 18 and a half years, still happen. And, and the same, if, if that happens in a marriage where you know each other that well, of course it's going to happen in the workplace, you know, where you spend a significant amount of time with each other, but you're, it's not, you know, that as significant as a marriage. And so we just have to be committed to the consistent um, approaches to having healthy relationships all the time. Um, and, th and that actually gets me to the next thing I wanted to talk about with you. Um, we, sometimes we see a culture disconnect um, between, so baby boomer Gen X um, employees and then comparing that with the millennial and Gen Z employees that, where there's just a disconnect. Uh, they don't, they're not speaking the same language. They, they have different core drivers and motivators. They prioritize, prioritize things differently. Um, so what are some of the issues you've seen in relation to the different age cohorts? Again, speaking in huge generalities here, but what yeah. are some of the things you've seen uh, in ways that organizations can move forward um, effectively um, to engage and motivate um, uh, millennial and Gen Z workers? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, yeah, and there's so much we could say on this on this subject, and um, and and much of which I'm not even qualified to speak into. I'm more of an armchair sociologist when it comes to the the, the different generational um, uh, just the differences. Uh, I I would say two things, and and I think this these are principles that I'm relying on that really apply to so many of these dynamics, whether it's generational issues 
whether it's cultural differences, uh, you know, age differences, because you know, age is in some ways different sometimes to the generational issues. We assume if you're this age, then you're that generation. Well, you actually find that there are anomalies. There are people that you would say, oh, you must be your Gen X because you fit in this age group, but actually they, they, they connect more, they affiliate more with the ideologies of Gen Y. And there's all kinds of reasons behind that. But I, I would say this, um, number one, recognizing, I think, um, again, learning to assess our own personal culture. Uh, you know, as well as our corporate culture is, is really important. Understanding um, the ideologies, the preferences, the values that we hold, um, and then being able to do the hard work of learning to assess another culture. So if you've got, you know, the boomers and Gen Xers who are primarily in the driver's seat of most organizations, you know, established, developed organizations these days, and, and they're trying to figure out what to do with the millennial Gen Z. Well, what happens is, is, is because of, uh, of, of the behaviors and uh, the way that uh, millennials and Gen Zers speak about different things, the assumption is there's something wrong with them. Well, the, re the reality is the boomers, I mean, the builders felt the same way about the boomers. The boomers felt the same way about the Gen Xers. You know? So it's just this trickle down effect of every generation is going to think the way we think is accurate. It's appropriate. It's the way we should do life, leadership, business, uh, and, and, and any other issue. Um, and so recognizing, number one, I have my own set of values and, 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 and preferences. Number two, I want to learn what yours are. Number three, I'm not going to assume that mine are right and yours are wrong. Because I actually believe that um, the, the boomers and Gen Xers have just as much to learn from the, the cultural values and preferences and perspectives of millennials and Gen Zers. Um, and, um, and, and vice versa. And vice versa. So this this might be a little bit of an aside, but just go with me for just one moment. Uh, in terms of our culture, and you can attribute this to all kinds of issues, I will just point back to the Industrial Revolution. Set in motion a chain of reactions that has shaped and affected our culture such that before the Industrial Revolution, it's primarily family business generations were required to learn how to work together to be able to operate together effectively to build businesses and you knew you were handing the family business on to the next generation there was a pride a sense of purpose in it and and, and therefore they figured out how to work together um, and with the industrial revolution now you've got you know people going to work all day not with their families but a bunch of strangers uh, trying to be like family together all day. You, you, what you've got is you've got this dynamic of people are no longer feeling obligated to work with different generations. They're no longer feeling obligated to figure each other out. There isn't this sense of, hey, the, the future of this organization depends on you because if you don't work, I'll find somebody else to make it work. And so, and again, I'm not saying that every business should be a family business, but only to say that I think uh, in large swaths of, uh, of, of corporate America, for lack of a better phrase, um, we've lost this sense from the older generations of their responsibility to raise up, to train, to develop the younger generations to take over. And for the younger generations, they're coming in and sometimes overly overreacting to what they're experiencing and deciding, you know what? Screw you, mom and dad. Screw you, grandpa and grandma. I'm going to go do my own thing.
Now remember, those weren't options 200 years ago for the most part. Today they are an option. And so rather than, than saying, well, you know, it's, you know, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, we're about the business of helping those older generation of leaders um, begin to take on a greater sense of responsibility of their part in raising up a new generation, developing a new generation, empowering a new generation, um, and the younger generation helping them to understand that you need these older generations, you need mentors, you need these kind of business father, mother figures that are gonna help you find your way um, into your future. Yeah, I love that. I love the historical perspective as well. Um, um, Eric, the time has flown by. We're getting close to the end of our time together. Um, I really appreciate all of your insights. Before we part today, though, I wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to uh, share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about what you're doing, um, and anything else you'd like to share by way of closing comments. I appreciate that, John. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, easy ways to get a hold of me um, is on LinkedIn, obviously, uh, just Eric uh, Pfeiffer. And my last name is spelt like Michelle Pfeiffer, so that should be easy to look up on, in Google. Um, our website is uh, Empower, M-P-W-R, so the word Empower without the vowels. That was my millennial business partner's idea. Um, so that's a lot of fun that I get to work in uh, every day and out with, with a different generation. Um, but EmpowerCoaching.com. Uh, they can find out more stuff there. We do have a book that is uh, is well on its way to coming into uh, reality. Should be out right at the turn of the new year. And the working title is Leadership Gravitas, which is um, uh, really a, a taking people through a practical process of increasing your leadership capacity um, so that you become a leader that other people want to follow. Wonderful. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and perhaps I could have you back on when the book launches. Absolutely. Uh, we could talk more about that. That would be awesome. Um, but thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, again, I, I hope listeners will reach out, get connected with Eric, find out more about what he and his organization can do for you. And as always, I hope you all stay healthy and safe, that you find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.